Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Consciousness Review and the Rising Stars Show. I'm Miriam Knight, and we have our superstar reviewers. We have Cynthia Sue Larson, who is the maven of all things quantum, particularly quantum consciousness, and she is known as the quantum optimist for helping people discover the many possible their many possible selves and jump into their favorite lives as they focus on the question how good can it get Cynthia has been a favorite on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, Coast to Coast AM and the BBC and you can watch her videos, subscribe to her free e-zine at realityshifters.com and listen to her radio show at dreamvision7radio.com forward slash Cynthia Sue Larson. Welcome, Cynthia. Oh, thank you. Glad to be on the show. I am so glad to have you. And Brent, just chime in whenever you're there, okay? I'm here. (laughs) Ah, you're there. Hail, hail. Brent is the movie maven. He has been a lifelong movie fan and student of metaphysics, and he maintains an ongoing blog about metaphysical cinema and other self-empowerment topics at brentmarchantsblog.blogspot.com. His book is called Get the Picture, Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies, and also Consciously Created Cinema, The Movie Lover's Guide, to the Law of Attraction. Both books provide a reader-friendly look at how the principles of conscious creation and the Law of Attraction are illustrated through film. Brent is a columnist for New Consciousness Review magazine, and Cynthia is one of our top reviewers. So I'm delighted to have them with us today, and we're going to give you a bird's-eye view of some of the books and films that have really caught our attention in the past quarter. So, Cynthia, let's start with you. What have you got for us today? Well, I've got some interesting things today. I'll start with a cookbook, actually, which is a little bit of a departure for me. As you've mentioned, I often like things that bring about a kind of a quantum shift, a change that happens instantly. But I I feel like this book does do that. It's called Nourishing Your Whole Self, a cookbook with feelings, and it's written by Marcy Izzard. And to me, this book stands out amongst cookbooks because it really helps people get a sense of how we feel about food, which changes the way we digest it and can help bring us into balance. Nowadays, so many people have various food-related issues that they're becoming aware of, not just things like special diets and dietary restrictions, but, I mean, um, people are becoming aware that they might eat comfort foods, for example, when they're under stress. And Mm -hmm. this book is really remarkable because it it breaks the different kinds of reasons that you might be eating food um, into sections in the book so that when it talks about it being a cookbook with feelings, It uh, has a whole section on feeling refreshed, and then another section on feeling peaceful, and then there's a section of recipes for foods that help you feel comforted, treated, and indulged. And the the basis (laughs) for this whole thing, I I just think it's extraordinary, Uh, but the, the author, Marcy Izzard, she writes a food blog for the Houston Chronicle, and it's called Marcy's Table, and she's been hosting also a cooking segment 
on um, on the Houston and Dallas areas called Feel Good Foods. So she really has a great deal of background in broadcast journalism. She's been a news anchor and a reporter and a yoga teacher. So obviously what's happened is she's putting all of her life skills together in this book and helping people recognize that you can feel comforted if you need to um, get that comfort food fix, but maybe um, there are other emotional needs as well. And I love the photos. I love the, the different kinds of recipes, things like salads that are, they, they just look so refreshing and so tasty. The pictures are full-size pictures usually, and then the recipe mm-hmm. is on the matching facing page. And each recipe has a little quote with it that's very positive um, or very funny and very spiritual. So the whole book is just the kind of thing that makes a perfect gift if we're getting into the gift-giving season. And it's also wonderful if you're working on losing weight or just um, building, maybe you're beefing up, whatever you're doing. This is an excellent book, and I just love the way that there's a design and layout to it that just makes the, the recipes pop Makes it fun to. Do you have? Do you have a favorite recipe? Well, that's a good question. I I think um, I thought it, some of them looked like fun. The zesty kale chips. I haven't tried them. They're in the peaceful section, and it looks so simple. And some of the other recipes just usually they just take simple things that you have, like a blender, mixer, refrigerator, oven, and stove. They're not too hard. Um, and so the things that I think are really cool are the salads that, that appeals to me right now. But as we move into colder weather, I love the looks of the onion and spinach soup and, you know, getting into that. because And the way that she writes these descriptions, listen to this. When, she, when Marcy writes about onion and spinach soup, she says, just as slicing onions can make you cry, eating them can stir up feelings as well. It's nothing to fear. Each brothy bowl is warm and healing. You may experience a subtle catharsis, and I did. I, you know, that recipe, the onion and spinach soup, is extraordinary. You know, you, you, I just feel comforted, cared for, and transformed. And there's this wow. wonderful sense of being grounded and transported. So I think it's fun and just wonderful. And again, the so name that of the was book called... is Nourishing Your Whole Self, A Cookbook with Feelings by Marcy Izzard. I wonder if she's any relation to the um, the comedian Eddie Izzard. No, I think he's I with know. two Z's. <laughs> he's with two Z's. She's with one I Z A R D. Yeah, great. Okay, well, thank you. That sounds yummy. Brent, what do you have for us now? Well, today I have a number of movies that are related to the theme of heroes, and my favorite at the moment is a new movie that just came out been very popular at the box office the past couple of weeks from director Clint Eastwood called Sully. And mm-hmm. this movie tells the story of Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger, who successfully uh, in, uh, executed a water landing of a plane on the Hudson River in 2009 when the uh, engines of the plane had been taken out by a bird strike. It was an event that became called the Miracle on the Hudson. And amazingly, uh, he had to act very quickly and uh, required a lot of uh, quick thinking on his part because um, water landings don't exactly have the greatest track record. <laughs> so, but amazingly, he landed the plane, and everybody survived. What's more, everybody was off the plane and on shore in a scant 24 minutes. 
Uh, he was uh, hailed as a folk hero across the country and uh, received lots of attention. However, in the wake of the event, a lot of people began second-guessing him in uh, government investigation circles. So having gone through this harrowing event of figuring out how to try and save all these people, he then faced a second challenge of defending his actions because the investigators claimed, sorry, but computer simulations said that you could have made it back to the airport without having to ditch into the river. So Mm -hmm. the film follows uh, his soul-searching in terms of investigating, uh, did I do the right thing, Um, was the action proper, Uh, and should I feel justified in what I did. Uh, It's a very interesting and thoughtful film that explores heroic acts on two levels, both during the event that uh, prompted the crisis and subsequently in terms of having to defend his actions. Um, Clint Eastwood is, in in my opinion, he's kind of an inconsistent film director, but he's really come up with a top-notch movie here. And Tom Hanks, who plays the lead role of Captain Sullenberger, is just terrific. So this is a movie that I recommend very highly. Uh, It's a great start to uh, this year's movie award season, and I hope that uh, it receives some recognition down the road because it really is very deserving of it. You know, especially at this time of such a litany of bad news and bad politics, we really need heroes. We really... um, need the, the the uplifting emotions that come with appreciating a hero like that. And yet oh, there's ab- this... Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's actually this- a character in the movie who talks about that, too, when he says that, you know, it was good for this to have such a positive outcome because New York City, in the recent past, before that time of the event happening, didn't have a terribly great track record when it came to incidents involving airplanes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yet there's this this... I don't know, quirk of human nature that also forces us to tear down our heroes. I wonder what that's all about. That's a very good question. I wonder if it's a case of maybe jealousy or, you know, uh, well, I should have been able to do that, (laughs) you know, Um, um, or if it's just a case of um, sometimes it's a a need to bolster uh, our own, Um, confidence in the decisions that we make. Mm -hmm. Well, there's the news that signals our break coming up. You're listening to Reviewers Roundtable with Brent Marchand, Cynthia Sue Larson, and Miriam Knight. Well, we're going to take one of my books next, I think. It's called The Atom Enigma by Ronald C. Meyer and Mark Reeder. It's coming out on October 15th from Origin Press. And I very rarely get to read novels. And so I was thrilled to get this book to read, you know, just to kind of kick back. But I couldn't put it down. I took it with me everywhere, in the car, on walks. And it was absolutely riveting because it's the story of a human geographer, somebody who specialized, it's kind of like anthropology of place, where uh, the science is looking at the cultural stories around, that arose around different places throughout history, really. 
And he is called in to investigate these uh, mysterious phenomena of healing associated with a shrine in New Mexico. And it's interesting that uh, spiritual healing in particular, you know, the kind of thing that you find at Lourdes, is a very complex issue because on the one hand, um, religions want to have a monopoly over uh, this kind of, of phenomenon associated with, you know, the appearance of, of Jesus or, or Mother Mary or whatever, but the, the appearance of mysterious spiritual healings. On the other hand, there are other kinds of groups in, that arise in the book who have a vested interest in particularly evangelical kind of healing. And so they want to keep control over who gets to call himself a healer. They don't want um, any competition to their own establishment. And then there's another book that wants to kidnap the healer and use, um, understand his powers and use them for commercial gain. So these three webs are kind of intermeshing in a story of international intrigue that is difficult to put down. But I found a couple of things particularly arresting. One was the theme of the book that anyone can develop these healing abilities and that um, anyone can act, people can actually act as a portal between the divine and the place and channel these healing energies through the rest of us and the rest of us can raise our own vibration and our own abilities um, through association and interaction and belief with um, these uh, enlightened beings. So it is this wonderful combination of uh, page-turning mystery um, with metaphysical contemplation and um, really deep spiritual meaning that I found so delicious. So I warmly recommend it. The Adam Enigma, a novel by Ronald Meyer and Mark Reeder. Okay, um, Cynthia, up to, over to you. Wonderful, and thanks. For, I just love hearing about these different recommendations. I think it's so exciting to hear anyone can be a healer, and I love the ideas about heroes. And I just had a, just a thought tying it all together briefly before I dive into my book, um, but that is that when we have heroes and people question them and doubt them, part of it may be just uh, that, that the heroic action is actually rising above the usual roles that we play of victim and and some sort of a, a, a abuser and then a rescuer. Um, usually heroes are kind of get off that whole diagram entirely, and they're not playing a role, but they're really rising above everything. And the same thing with a healer, and anyone can be a healer just by recognizing that there's nothing separating us from divine source love. And these kinds of epiphanies that people have can be very threatening to the status quo. Which go, This is the perfect segue to my next book, which is called I Am Not I. It's by Jacob Needleman. 
a rather slim volume. Doesn't have um, many pages really. It's only about 111 pages long. And Jacob Needleman is extraordinary. I, if people have had the good fortune to have read one of his books before, then you know just what a deep thinker and how profound and loving he is. He's a professor at San Francisco State University, which I attended, but I was not at that time fortunate to attend a class by him. Uh, what this book does, it's called I Am Not I, and it's written in the form of a stage play in which two primary characters represent distinct parts of the author's consciousness, one at a very young age and one at his current octogenarian um, older age. And the separation between the characters occurs through space and time, yet there's a conversation that unfolds, nudging each of the different characters, the older one, um, Jacob, with the younger one, Jerry, and gets them to question the way that they view everything. So it's one of those exploratory introspectives, but and that may seem boring, but for anybody who's ever wondered, why are we here? What is it all about? Who am I? Um, this is an extraordinary exploration of it that I find just extremely enlightening and uh, very exciting, actually, because it, I, I loved the way that... The, the dialogue helps me to reconsider some assumptions that tend to be subconsciously absorbed by most of us who grew up in Western society, such as the idea that real freedom is obedience to something bigger than ourselves. This is what I'm getting at. This is how to be a hero, how to be a healer. Uh, when you're obedient to something that's so much bigger than who you thought you were, then you, and you start recognizing that you're living in a conscious universe, uh, and the importance of deeply and truly feeling a genuine sense of love and yearning, it's transporting you to a whole new level of awareness. And so this is much more than a play, this book, I Am Not I. And that's thanks to the conversation through time structure. So readers go on the journey, too, and we get to explore these philosophical, philosophical ideas and engage in similar conversations with our past selves and older possible selves. And this, what I, what I think is really cool, the best part of it, the whole thing, is that I started getting a feeling of touching the ineffable. Because this is kind of a, a high, you know. <laughs> when you meditate, sometimes you might feel like, that's what I'm going for. I want to touch that thing that can't be described. I want to feel that. And that's what I love about Jacob Needleman. That's what I love about this book. And here's a quote from it. And really good example. Science knows it does not have answers. What it doesn't know is that it has only questions, questions of the heart. So this is just a small taste of what the book is like, and I think it really does get to the heart of how it feels to have meaning in, in our lives. And I think when we do have meaning and we have health, then we have a wonderful life, regardless of what kind of problems and issues we might be going through. So this, again, is a book called I Am Not I by Jacob Needleman. I sense a theme emerging here because um, I'll, I'll get to my book later, but it's almost a, a perfect segue. But I was thinking when you were talking about my interview with Michael Shermer, the kind of chief skeptic who had a dialogue with Rupert Sheldrake 
in a book called Arguing Science. And um, Shermer, the skeptic, said that uh, you know science can answer almost everything except for the big question, quote unquote, which was the question of consciousness. How does consciousness arise? And um, you were talking about the um, uh, identification with something bigger. And I think that the the kind of switch that we make is um, seeing that something bigger as being outside of yourself versus as being you being part of it. So it's that that um, uh, integral view of it that makes all the difference in my view. Yeah. So, Brent, over to you. Well, that was an, it was an interesting selection to lead into my next film, which uh, also shows the crossover between healing and heroism. It's a documentary called Gleason. Uh, the film is currently wrapping up its theatrical run, but should be available on DVD in the near future. Uh, it tells the story of former NFL football player Steve Gleason, who became a hero in his, uh, the team that he played for in New Orleans when he became uh, the hero of a game at the first um, home game played in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. And he became sort of a symbol for the city in terms of its rebirth. Uh, he ended up having a, a very successful career and then uh, retired, I believe it was in 2009. Well, a couple of years after he finished playing, he was diagnosed with ALS. And it was really quite devastating that someone in the prime of his life would be struck down by such a devastating disease as this. But he vowed that it was not going to get him down, that he was going to live his life to the fullest with whatever time he had left, which at the time the doctor said usually the diagnosis is uh, about, about uh, prognosis is two to five years from the time of diagnosis. What he decided to do was, uh, was to become um, a symbol for life, to go on and do the things that he wanted to do with the time he had left. But he also wanted to become involved in helping his fellow patients. He ended up establishing a foundation that provided funds for helping people who had the illness to cope with their condition more effectively and also to essentially live out dreams that they had never had an opportunity to do so. Um, the film is really quite uplifting in terms of telling his story, showing what's possible, the idea of never giving up, um, and also providing his own personal healing by doing all this, uh, despite the fact that the film also is rather candid in showing the effects of the illness. It's, it was shot over mm -hmm. a course of a couple of years, and you get to see the progression of his illness very graphically, which uh, can, be, can be difficult to watch. And yet through it all, he, he stays the hero. He never gives up. He keeps fighting, um, and he becomes a champion not only for himself, but also for the people he's involved with. Uh, his foundation ended up going on to get involved with uh, fundraising for research. They were the ones who were behind the ice bucket challenge that became so ubiquitous a couple years ago. Um, and he's really left such an impact that an illness that was really not all that well-known has now become much more prominent in consciousness. Uh, people are much more aware of it. Uh, funding is much more available for it and he's helping a lot of people hopefully have better futures. And the film was called? Gleason. G Gleason, wow. Gleason, B-L-E-A-S-O-N. Thank, thank you so much. Cynthia, are you uh, still doing your radio show? 
Yes, I am. I'm still doing... It's called Living the Quantum Dream, and it's with Dream Vision 7 Radio Network out of Boston, Massachusetts. And how do people find it? Uh, well, they can find it... Uh, the best way to find everything I'm doing is go to my website at realityshifters.com. From there, if you click on the Cynthia page, um, there's a link that goes to the radio show, and it talks about um, scientific articles that I've published, events that I'm doing, um, my books, my CDs, and my newsletter, my YouTube videos, just my world of exciting activities. (laughs) So many things. (laughs) So many things. Yes. (laughs) So little time. Yes. Right. (laughs) And Brent, how about you giving us a plug for your website, your activity? Uh, (laughs) Well, I'm currently um, working on a new book. Uh, and I'm also uh, continuing to write for New Consciousness Review and others and other publications. Um, mm-hmm. My website is going to be going under uh, under through renovation in the near future, uh, but you can check it out in the meantime at brentmarchant.com. Uh, it has a link to my blog and has a link to some of my other writings. Very good. And while we're in plugging mode, I want to invite you all to visit happyguide.com. That's H-A-P-I-G-U-I-D-E.com. It's our newly launched directory for practitioners and resources in the areas of health, awakening, purpose, and inspiration. That's at happyguide.com. Okay, um, I guess it's up to me. My next book is called Against the Pollution of the Eye. It's actually a collection of essays by Jacques Lucéran, uh, that's L-U-S-S-E-Y-R-A-N, who was blinded at the age of seven. He was born in 1924. He was blinded, and yet, blind as he was, he formed a French resistance group at the age of 17 during World War II in France, and he was very um, instrumental in many wonderful operations, but he was ratted out, and he spent 15 months at Buchenwald, survived the war, and went on to uh, be uh, transferred to the United States, finished his education there, and he went on to teach at Case Western Reserve University. Um, He unfortunately died uh, very young in a car accident during a visit to France, but he was, I think, uh, one of the most luminous philosophers and and, um, writers of his period. I was so taken by his book. It's part memoir, part just reflection on the universe, and when you look at the universe, you know, we use the metaphor, look at the universe, do we really see it? But someone like uh, Lucéron, who is looking through the eyes of the heart, as the little prince as says in, in, his, in the book, The Little Prince, um, you see rightly, you see things that um, we tend to miss. Um, he talks about the power of poetry in one um, story about uh, when he was in the camps, he recited poetry by heart and 
if you can just imagine in the night these starving, cold, dirty uh, people huddled around listening to this blind man recite poetry, people from all different uh, countries and, and backgrounds just huddled around in, in rapt silence listening to this lifeline of poetry coming from the mouth of this blind man. And there is a quote that I want to read to you where he says, Since my childhood, I have been impressed with a phenomenon of surprising clarity. The light I saw changed with my inner condition. Partly it depended on my physical condition, for instance, fatigue, restfulness, tension, or relaxation. Such changes, however, were relatively rare. The true changes depended on the state of my soul. When I was sad, when I was afraid, all shades became dark and all forms indistinct. When I was joyous and attentive, all pictures became light. Anger, remorse plunged everything into darkness. A magnanimous resolution, a courageous decision radiated a beam of light. By and by, I learned to understand that love meant seeing and that hate was night. So, uh, this is, uh, again, a small book of collected essays from New World Library called Against the Pollution of the Eye, the letter I, by Jacques Lucerin, L-U-S-S-E-Y-R-A-N. Okay, I think we're back to Cynthia. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Well, this time it's not a book, it's a movie, and I've... I do review movies. I've been doing that since the 90s also, especially when they get into something that helps people shift their way of seeing things and viewing the world. This one is called Aloha, and it really feels like a trip to Hawaii. It's directed by one of my favorite film directors, Cameron Crowe. I just love pretty much everything he's done. And this is starring Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, Rachel McAdams, Bill Murray, John Krasinski, Alec Baldwin and Danny McBride, and it's um, the thing that I like about this movie, from the standpoint of changing our lives and you know, getting a, a new view of everything, is of course it's an uplifting romantic comedy, but it's got this little dash of magic in the mix that I find irresistible. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm-hmm. set in modern day Hawaii, and you can totally take this as just a feel good romantic comedy film, and leave it at that. But if you go deeper, then you can get into some real treasure and just depth and joy that this movie has to offer because this movie at times is funny and deep and warm and embracing and ultimately quite uplifting. What it, The story revolves around Bradley Cooper's character. He plays the role of a celebrated military contractor. He's coming back to Hawaii and runs into an old flame, an old girlfriend, um, someone he'd almost married at one point. Now she's married to someone else. She's played by Rachel McAdams, and Bradley Cooper's character is accompanied by a crisp Air Force officer pilot, and she's played by Emma Stone. And uh, she's been assigned to keep an eye on him and um, accompany him as he works on a special mission in Hawaii. And uh, then there's this comedic character, John Krasinski. You might have seen him from the the TV show The Office, 
and he plays Rachel McAdams' husband. And that, I think, is just a showstopper. He's a scene stealer because um, <laughs> I don't think I'll be spoiling the plot to say that there are some scenes with him that are just, I think, some of the best in cinematography. Um, in movie history, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, because he's playing Rachel McAdams' husband, but he's such a, a man of so few words that he can say a lot but while saying no words at all. And it's it's worth seeing just for that. And then the other favorite thing I love about the movie is that there's a character by Hawaiian native Dennis Bumpy Kanahele. He plays himself, and this really does honor the indigenous people of Hawaii, which brings the story in line with some of that magic I was talking about, connection to the earth and nature, and the mythical Menehune make an appearance in the film. These are the sometimes called the little people or leprechauns of Hawaii. Um, I'm not going to say what happens, but something amazing happens there. And just overall, the film does a spectacular job of creating a feast for the eyes. Um, sort of, feel, You feel like you've had a vacation to Hawaii, and there's a deeply satisfying soundtrack. That's always true of any Cameron Crowe film. And then basically, there's this emotionally deep acting that I just haven't seen very much in movies anywhere, um, culminating in one of the, the final scenes in the movie, uh, a dance sequence. And it's just extraordinary. And then, of course, you've got Bill Murray, and he's always a kick. Um, he's funny. Mm-hmm. He um, plays an unusual character. So I think... Um, this may, at first glance, look like a military-oriented story or a romantic comedy. Some people think this movie was all over the place. Personally, I think it's a delight. I think it's worth seeing a movie that I would I, lo- I would love to see it more than once. I've already seen it more than once. So, <laughs> anyway, there's a lot to it, a lot to get from it, and you can go deeper on subsequent viewings. And I think it's just remarkable. It's called Aloha. It's a movie by Cameron Crowe. That sounds like such fun. Absolutely must look it up. Is it still in the uh, theaters? Not now, but you can get it uh-huh. um, through probably Netflix and get the DVD. Sure. I didn't know there were little people in Hawaii. Yes, they're pretty much around the world, so it's a worldwide phenomenon. Huh. Uh, so they, they look like um, little Hawaiians, or they look like the sort of generic... Elves or leprechauns? Oh, there's a, that, that's open for discussion. In the movie, they're depicted not so tiny, um, so mm-hmm. that's that's fine. And around the world, they, they come in different sizes. You go to Iceland and Greenland, and they're different sizes than in Sweden and Norway and Ireland and so forth. But, yeah, basically, they're definite magic people all around the world. Well, I've just been reading books about giants as well. And my goodness, we've had skeletons on Earth that were um, 8, 10, and uh, taller, 10 feet and taller. I mean, up to, up to I think the, the tallest one that they found, don't hold me to it, I think it was something like 17 feet. I mean, it was just absolutely ridiculous. That's even bigger but, than Bigfoot. Uh, it's like twice the size, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. big. I mean, there really were giants on the earth. And it stands to reason if there were giants, there would have been little people, just for symmetry. And we're going to leap into our next uh, offering from Brent. 
Before I get to my, my last film for today, one thing I would like to make a quick mention of is my uh, current article in the latest edition of New Consciousness Review magazine, which ties into today's theme. Uh, it's titled Vanquishing the Boogeyman, and basically it's a re uh, comprehensive survey of movies that deal with uh, facing fears, acting courageously, and living heroically. Uh, for those who are looking for movies along those themes, uh, you'll find listings for 27 films that address those particular topics, including everything from classics like Casablanca and um, To Kill a Mockingbird, all the way up to more current releases like The Walk and um, The King's Speech and Me and Earl and the Dying Girl and so forth. So check that out. And you'll find some really interesting titles there. As for my last film today, um, I want to recommend another type of hero that's a little bit more controversial, and that's the film Snowden. Uh, it's the uh, biographical story of Edward Snowden, the whistleblower who came forth and uh, let people know about what the government was doing in terms of surveillance of American citizens. Um, he's a character who has been portrayed by some as being a traitor, and he's been portrayed by others as being a hero. This film does an excellent job of exploring what he did and why he did it. And you, viewers are still welcome to come away from it drawing their own conclusions, but of the reasons behind his actions, it gives you a perspective that maybe has not come out in some of the mainstream media reports that were involving his story. Um, the film is a, a little slow in a few spots, but on balance, I would say it's really pretty good um, because it's dealing with subject matter that is not the easiest to explain, um, but it does a good job of uh, outlining what the motivations were um, from a very idealistic young man who wanted to do something in the wake of the 9-11 attacks to give back to his country and then ended up seeing things he didn't want to see that were, in his opinion, uh, just as bad, if not worse, than what happened on that particular day. Uh, the film stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the leading role. He's excellent. He captures Snowden's mannerisms and vocal inflections down to a T. And he's got a wonderful supporting cast, including uh, Shailene Woodley, Zachary Kinto, uh, Melissa Leo, Tom Wilkinson, Nicholas Cage. Uh, it's really quite an impressive cast. Uh, it's not necessarily one of the best efforts from director Oliver Stone, but I think it's probably one of his most important films, at least probably since JFK, because he ends up going into subjects that I think um, the American public would be better served to have a more in-depth view of, and this film certainly does that. So uh, the film is Snowden. It's currently in, box offices, uh, currently in theaters. Uh, it's doing fairly well at the box office, which is unusual for a movie with a uh, subject matter like this. But it's uh, really, it's quite good. Sounds fascinating. Thank you. Well, I have a little book called Rumi's Little Book of Love and Laughter by Coleman Barks. Now, it turns out that the early translations of the Persian poet Rumi were uh, done in the uh, early 1920s but certain parts were left in Latin because they were considered too unseemly for the general public. So Coleman Barks actually took all of the Latin parts, translated them, and they are a collection of hilarious, ribald, sexy, 
um, everything from bathroom humor to uh, to uh, lust and lechery. But Rumi manages to use these anecdotes, these fables, to tell a higher story, to reflect us to ourselves in all of our hilarity, in all of our um, humanity, I should say, and then draw that connection between our everyday lives and the greater we that we can aspire to be, that we actually are, but do not recognize. So it's um, just a, a delightful little collection of fables that you can dip into, that you can giggle at, and that you can contemplate. Again, it's called Rumi's Little Book of Love and Laughter by Coleman Barks from Hampton Roads. Cynthia, do you have another one for us? Oh, boy. Well, I am reading another book. This one gets a little bit into some serious subject matter. It's called Consciousness, Attention, and Conscious Attention. It's written by Carlos Montemayor and Harry Hartunian Talagian. These are philosophers. Well, one of them is a philosopher, and that would be um, Carlos Montemayor, Montemayor. And the other one is a psychologist, Harry Hartunian Talagian. And the book, it sounds very heavy, so this is for my scholarly um, types of readers. <laughs> Because it is, it does delve deeply into all of the various theories of consciousness. So if you have followed some of the recent newspaper and magazine articles, headliners saying that there's a problem with consciousness, a hard problem, that is, and what is it exactly, this book starts clearing the question up in, by virtue of um, helping to clarify what it is that we're talking about when we describe the word consciousness. And what do we mean when we look at attention and how are they different and how do the theories sort of move from putting them in sort of a circle where they're all the same space to separating them out totally so you can have all forms of attention being completely different than forms of consciousness. The authors basically um, suggest that we should be looking at an overlap, that consciousness does share some qualities with attention they're not totally separate, and they're not totally together. And so, in other words, you can be conscious of something you're not paying attention to, and you can pay attention to something you're not conscious of, which is fascinating. Um, that's probably the most interesting way to describe it for the general public. But if you like this sort of subject of consciousness, which I'm heavily into, um, and if you love it like I do, then this book is a must because it, it's one of the fastest ways to get an overview of all of the current research in the field and then get a sense of how to get a dialogue going to make sense of this rather complex, thorny, hard problem of what is consciousness. And again, that's consciousness. And the title again? Attention. Yes, it's called Consciousness, comma, Attention, comma, and Conscious Attention by Carlos <laughs> Montemayor, I know, <laughs> and Harry Harutin Halajian. Great. Well, we don't have very many uh, very much time, so I'm going to give you on the tip of the uh, the, the spoon um, a last book called The Ascension Mysteries by David Wilcock. It's called, uh, the the tagline is called Revealing the Cosmic Battle Between Good and Evil. 
I was really conflicted about even discussing this book because it is very, um, first of all, it's very big. It's about 600 pages, uh, bless his heart. It has a lot of personal history in it. It has a lot of David Wilcox's um, earlier uh, writings, you know, excerpts from his earlier books about the the nature of uh, ascension in particular. Um, this is his notion that we are all moving into a dimensional shift. And if our consciousness is ready, ho, ho, you might have to read Cynthia's book. If our consciousness has arrived at a given level, then we will be among those who will ascend to this new dimension of being. Um, it talks a lot about uh, what most people refer to as conspiracy theories. In great detail, uh, he interviews people who have worked at NASA, at the CIA, citing chapter and verse. And you just don't know how far down the rabbit hole you want to go with David. So if you are into um, rabbit holes, conspiracies, um, who is actually running the planet, what their agendas might be, um, overlay that on some of the fairly far out notions of ascension, rapture, um, the dimensional shift that happened in 2012, um, you have a fair idea of what you might find in the Ascension Mysteries by David Wilcock. It, I have to say that I found it difficult to put down, even though it was such a fat book. Um, and it's difficult to know what to make of it. You're always conflicted between um, buying into the inevitable negativity that goes with conspiracy theory ideas and um, feeling that you really need to take a broader perspective of what's looking of what's going on around you and what might be the agendas behind them. So if you want food for thought, I can recommend The Ascension Mysteries by David Wilcock. So any, any closing thoughts, my dear friends? Well, I'm interested in hearing about this, um, the, the, what you called conspiracy theory. That, that it turns out to have been a term apparently coined by the CIA um, having to do with stopping people from looking at what's called the deep state, which used to be called the military-industrial complex. Mm -hmm. And I'm just yeah. bringing it up because it is touched on in that movie Aloha that I reviewed. Um, not so much as they get into all the heavy aspects of it, but I think it's interesting that, again, we've got a little bit of an overlap here between these David Wilcock Ascension Mysteries, which I've not read, but I am familiar with the deep state concept and the the fact that conspiracy theory was a... It, that's, um, my, that's, that's a spinning concept brought up by the CIA. It really is a spin, yes. It's a yeah. way of ridiculing it so you don't right. um, take it seriously. Yeah. Well, that's all we have today, so I want to thank my dear colleague, Cynthia Sue Larson and French Marchand. I am Miriam Knight. Please join us next week when we will have 
war, helping the rising stars, and new countries. Thanks for listening. Visit our website, review.com, and we'll see you next week. Bye.